Our scripture for this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, well, let me add a, a welcome uh, to you as well. My name is Tim, and I serve as uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, if, as you came in, uh, you didn't get uh, one of the Green Kids Connect sheets. Uh, you can feel free to run back, grab one of those, um, follow along the sermon uh, on, on your level. And uh, if you have a, ba- a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have one on the back table. Uh, feel free to grab one. And, uh, um, and, and it's yours. It's your gift. Uh, or I can t- uh, to you. Before we jump into Matthew 28, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going. Uh, Father and God, you, you do not delight in empty religious practices, but you delight in hearts to love you and trust you out of delight in you. So God, I ask as we open, open your word and we reflect on who you are, what you've done, God, would you, would you open our hearts, open our, our ears, open our eyes, um, that we would delight in you more, God, to serve you. Not just out of a sense of obedience, but out of a sense of, of love and delight that we know you. God, I ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week uh, was Easter Sunday, and we as a church, we looked at the central claim of Christianity, which is that Jesus Christ uh, rose, from, rose from the dead. Um, and one of the things we said was that if that's true, then that's not just like an interesting historical fact. That that, that's, like, that's a fact that changes... Uh, everything, and especially everything about your particular, your life. So this week we're going to look with, okay, Jesus Jesus rose from the dead, uh, uh, what now, what next? And that's where we want to go this morning. And one thing I want to say is that if if you become a Christian, if you enter into this life with Jesus, it's, it's like entering into a brand new world. I think of it like this, on, on February 2nd, 2012, uh, my world completely changed. That was the day that I became a father. And the day I became a father, completely, it completely changed the way that I experienced uh, the world. And we lived in Chicago at that time, and up until that moment of having a son, I completely embraced uh, Chicago driving, um, which, uh, if you've ever been to Chicago, uh, the speed limit in Chicago, it's sort of like multiply that by two. Um, lane, uh, lane markers are kind of more suggestions than, uh, than uh, firm, uh, firm di- divisions. And so I embraced that, uh, embraced crazy Chicago driving, and you can fill out your imagination what you think uh, that means. But once I had a baby and, and I had an infant son in the back of my car, then uh, then I became like old man on Sunday afternoon driving slow. Like it was just, uh, I took back roads, I took my time, and I looked around at all these crazy Chicago drivers and wondered what's wrong with these people. Like slow down, I have a, a human being in the back seat, like take it easy, uh, I need your help here. Um, and so after having a son, my, my world changed. It changed in another way. And, uh, I was in grad school at the time, and so I needed at some point to get a, a job that would actually uh, support my family uh, and, and move me on school. And uh, the, actually, the day that Isaiah was due, I had an interview scheduled with, with the church. Isaiah came five days early. And so uh, at, at five days old now, I had this interview with this church for a job post-grad um, school. And, and I've been thinking about the interview before Isaiah was born. But after, after becoming a father, the interview now was just totally different. 
there's a brand new pressure uh, attached to me that I, I, I need this job, right? Like, I, I need to have a job where I can support my family, and I better do a good job with um, the interview. And so I went in with this whole new sense of pressure that I didn't think about before I had, before I had a son. So you're wondering, how, well, how did it go? Um, well, that, that interview was with Christ Community uh, five, uh, five years ago, and, and apparently uh, running on absolutely no sleep and feeling the pressure of the world on you is a wonderful way to go into an interview. That I nailed it, got the job, ended up here in, in Kansas City. Um, but, but here's my point. When you have, when you have a child, you're, like, you experience the world completely differently. And all of us, like, it doesn't have to be child, you know, having a child, it can be anything. Like, you, there are things that happen to us that just change everything about the way we experience life, the way we inhabit our world. And I would say if the resurrection is true, that's one of those things. It changes everything about the way you approach your life. But to become a Christian, it, it's to enter into a new world. And like, like Harry Potter, finding platform nine and three quarters, entering into that new world. It's a completely different world experience. Like uh, Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia, wandering in the back of a wardrobe and finding Narnia behind uh, the wall. It's a, it's a new world. To be a Christian is to enter into a completely new world. So what does that mean for us? And whether you're a Christian and you, you've, you've tried to enter into this new world, or you're not a Christian, you're wondering, what would it mean for me to become a Christian? Well, Matthew 28, it lays it out. The resurrection happens, and now Jesus says, okay, here's what's next. The world's changed. Here's what happens. Here's what you're called to. And I want to look at Matthew uh, 28 in three ways. Um, one is, um, is how, how do you enter into this new world? What does it look like to go from being outside the world to inside the world? Um, two, what, what's your job? If you enter into this world, what, what changes about your life? What are you supposed to do? And then thirdly, um, why this world is better than the world you and I live in and have it now. So first, uh, how, do you, how do you enter into this, this world of being a Christian? Now, I want to look at this uh, briefly because I think Matthew 28, it does away with a little bit of, I think, a misconception that a lot of people have about Christianity in, um, in our culture. Um, and I think there's an assumption within our culture that to become a Christian means uh, you're going to start winning uh, for the rest of your life now, and you're going to win so much you're going to get tired of how much you're, you're winning. I said that in first service. No one tracked with me there. But uh, basically, the Christian life is like this triumphant march of, of just having success all the time. And if you have enough faith, God just gives you everything you want. Right? That, that, I think that, that cultural assumption is pretty strong um, about Christianity in, in, in our world today. But look at it. I didn't see this until this week. Um, Matthew 28. This is new to me. Uh, listen to this. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I have to confess, I've read this text a lot of times. I never saw that until like two weeks ago when I, when I began to study uh, for this morning. And what does it mean that some doubted? Well, these are the eleven disciples. These are the most committed people to Jesus' mission. They spent the most time with him. And if, if Matthew 28, if it's true, it means they're standing in front of the resurrected Christ. Like they just saw him die, and now he's alive, and they're still doubting. Why? How's that even possible? Well, to understand how it's possible, we have to know what, what does the word doubt mean? And it only appears uh, two times in the New Testament. Um, here in Matthew 28, and one other moment in the Gospel of Matthew. There's this moment where the disciples, they're, they're out on a ship, Sailing in sea, it's the middle of the night, it's between 3 and 6 a.m., so it's, it's dark. Uh, the only lights on the sea is the moonlight. Uh, when they look out into the water and they see what looks like a ghost, the disciples are a little freaked out, and then the ghost, the ghost yells at them. Um, it's me, it's Jesus, don't be afraid. 
And Peter, uh, I think probably not fully convinced this is not a ghost, this is Jesus. Peter yells out, um, okay, if it's really you, Jesus, then let me come out and walk on the water with you. So Jesus says, come on. And so Peter steps out of the boat, he begins to walk, walk on the water. And, and what, what Matthew says happens is that the winds pick up, the waves begin to crash around him, and Peter, Peter begins to look around, and he's distracted, and he begins to sink. And Jesus, Jesus reaches out his hand, he, he pulls Peter up, saves him, and then asks Peter this question. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's the same word doubt that we have in Matthew 28. The word literally means, it means a two-mindedness, a double-mindedness. It means to waver, it means to be unsteady. This is what I mentioned. A lot of people, I think they think that being a Christian is, you, you never you never have experience. You never waver, you never doubt, right? It's, 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 it's one triumphant walk to, to heaven. But it's, it's so fascinating to be the disciples in front of the risen Christ are unsteady, they're wavering for two months. Can, can we really step into this new world? And actually, I think that's a really good metaphor for how for how you'll experience much of your Christian life. And it's also a good metaphor for how you enter into the Christian life. That you enter into the Christian life, you enter worshiping Jesus, convinced he, can, he alone can save you. He is who he said he is. He can save you from yourself. He can save you from death. He can give you into new life. He's the Son of God come to save. So we worship him. Um, but we also doubt, is, is this really true? Have we really entered into a new world? A new world where death, death doesn't have the last word, uh, where where the cemeteries that we walk through, they're not, they're not places of endings, but they're, they're more a garden where the people planted there are just waiting for spring to be raised to new life. A new world where God, he's on his throne, he suffers for us in order to save us. When he dies for us, he saves us. Is that really the world we live in? Because to live and enter into that new world, it's like walking on, on water. You and I, we're not trained for that world. We're trained for a world of, of death, where we see suffering snuff out hope, where we, we want to believe in heaven, but we see a lot of hell around us. Where there's so much that whispers to us daily, this is too good to be true, this isn't real. And so I, I would just say, if the disciples, if they wait, they were unsteady, if they were of two minds, before the risen Christ, so will you. So will I. And because entering the Christian life is it's entering a new world. It's a world you and I aren't meant for. Not yet, but we're meant for it, but we're not raised for it yet. We're not trained for it. But what's important there is not that doubt's a good thing. It's, it's, not. it's not. We're not celebrating doubt there. Um, but what is important is that what we be reminded that, that the entering into the Christian world is not based on the strength of your belief, right? You can there can be doubts. You don't get into this new world because you believe enough or you believe strong enough. And think of people like this. Um, I've never understood uh, the idea of, of skydiving. Um, that, that doesn't make sense to me. As you know me, I'm, I'm terrified of heights. I don't like uh, flying um, at all. And so the thought of, of jumping out of a plane does not make sense to me. That when I board a plane, I want everyone to sit down and be quiet, be buckled in, doors shut, nobody move. Like, that's what I want. Um, and yet, so the idea of like, let's get up, let's open the door and jump out. Like, that, I don't have like an emotional capacity to understand that, like why you would do that. Um, but let's say, you know, you and I were dumb enough to do that, to open the door and jump out um, and decide we're going to put all of our trust into a parachute. Um, because I'm a rational human being that thinks jumping out of a, a door of a plane is a really terrible idea. Uh, that, uh, my belief in the parachute is very small. 
Right? And I think that people jump out of a plane, uh, there's a, a certain faith they should meet, um, and the parachute should get in the way of that. I feel like if you're dumb enough to jump out of a plane, like there's there's consistency to how that should end. Um, and so to me, I have a very small amount of, of faith in the parachute, right? Like 0.0001%. And so I'm going to go to the door of the plane thinking that I'm going to die, because that's what people jump out of planes. That's what should happen to them. Um, maybe you, uh, you're irrational, and you think this is fun, and you have great faith in your parachute, and you jump out with just full of confidence that this is going to be a, a beautiful glide down to the ground, a wonderful battle scenery, whatever. And, and so here, here's the thing. It does not matter how strong or how much confidence you have in your parachute. It's irrelevant. What matters is, will it work? <laughs> will it actually fly out and let you glide to the ground safely? And, and that's, how the Christian, that's how the Christian life works. It doesn't matter how much you believe in Jesus. The smallest amount is enough because what matters is, can he actually save you? You pull the cord, the bullet parachute go out, and you fly to the ground. So I, I just want to say, it's okay if you have doubts about the truth or about the reality of Christianity. That, that's okay. That's not what matters. Is do you have doubts, or how strong is your faith? What matters is, can Jesus save you, and are you trusting him? So to become a Christian is to enter into a new world. But, but we don't enter with no questions, with no doubts. We enter like people trying to walk on water. And that's okay. So I think uh, specifically, if you're in a position and you're like, okay, what would it mean? How would I step into this world? How would I become a Christian? I think one thing as Christians we have to be really clear about with people is that that doesn't mean you don't have any more doubts. It doesn't mean your belief reaches a certain threshold. Even the smallest amount of, of belief and faith that Jesus can do, he can save you. It's enough. And if you have, uh, if you have stepped into this, this new world, if you are a Christian, and you have doubts, and you will. Then let, let Matthew 28 be a guide for how to, how to deal with those doubts. I love, I love what Matthew 28 says. It says, all of them worshipped, but some doubted. Right? Some of them had pushed beyond doubts, and they were just in a place of worship. And some were doubting. And worship is the, it's, it's the cure for, for doubt. Because what, what we do in corporate worship as we gather together as a church is we step out of a world of death. We step into a world of, of life. We step into a different world. The world out there, when you sin or you make a mistake, people remember and they hold it against you. And it can, it can follow you around for a long time. You, you step into this world, you step into a world where we're forgiven, right? God, God shed his blood for us in his son. Jesus, there's forgiveness. We step out of a world where death is the final world. We step into a world of resurrection. We step out of a world where, where, where there's exclusion and people are left out. We step into a world where God is a table and invites you to heaven. So worship is a place where we enter into that new world week after week after week and retrain ourselves to go to walk of water, to live into this new life. So to be a Christian is to, is to enter into a new world. You enter, you enter worshiping even through your doubts. And secondly, once, once you and I are in it, once we're Christians, what, what's different? What changes about our lives? As we've gone through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and it's a church we've gone through over the last year and a half, kind of off and on, one of the things that keeps coming up again and again is that Jesus, he was really clear that he wasn't just coming to say a bunch of nice things and get us into heaven when, when, when we die, but he was, he was also coming to form a community. Um, in Matthew 16, he calls it a church, and a church that's going to go and, and invade what's evil about our world and overcome what's evil about um, our world. So he was starting this community, and this community, which now Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 28, has one task. There's one command in Matthew 28 that all of us, both corporately and individually, are called to be and do as Christians. And that's one command. is to make disciples. 
But to enter into the world of Jesus is to enter into a world where you are called to make disciples. That's our mission as a church. It's in our mission statement. Um, it's in uh, it's on a, a pop-up sign up there, right? Multiplying disciples. That's always a sign of an important thing. So you go to my pop-up sign in case you're wondering. Uh, the church, theologically, it's important if it pop-ups uh, on the sign. Uh, but, uh, but we want to multiply disciples. And, and so what does that mean? Right? That's kind of a religious, churchy sort of thing to say. And Jesus unpacks what he means by making disciples with three words, with three verbs um, in Matthew 28. To go, to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. It's first, go. Uh, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. And for a long time, I, I thought what Jesus meant here is that, that I have to go somewhere else to make disciples. And it, it does mean that for a number of Christians, because Jesus will later say, and we'll talk about this, he wants disciples all over the world. So for that to happen, you have to go somewhere else to where there are not Christians and make disciples. Yeah, but that's not primarily what Jesus means when he says, therefore, go and make disciples. Well, I might translate it like this. That, that what Jesus is saying is, is, as you go about your life, make disciples. If you're a Christian, you are sent into the world you inhabit. You're sent to your family. You're sent to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your, your classmates, to your teammates, to your friends. And Jesus sends you there to go and tell people about the good news of the world that he is offering. But this, this is hard for us because just Christians, we get weird about this. Um, a quick example, uh, someone who lives around where I live, uh, they have signs that they put out on their front porch um, pretty frequently. And sometimes they're really nice and encouraging about Jesus. Um, sometimes they're, I'm not quite sure what their point is, um, but they're committed to it. Because it's not just like a sign that like they wrote on. It's like quilt work. It's like really nice. Um, so they have a sign right now that, that is something like this. I didn't quite write it down exactly, but the, the sign right now says this. Um, what do you think God thinks about where you go to college? Uh, I have no idea what that means, um, actually, and, uh, I don't, but I don't think I want to ask them because uh, I'm not sure it's exactly like an inviting sign. Uh, and yet, like, you drive by, and it just feels weird. Like, why, like why, what are we doing here? I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure. And listen, as you go about your life, sharing Jesus with others, it doesn't have to be weird. Um, it doesn't have to be threatening to others. In fact, I would say if the way that you share Jesus is, is either weird or threatening to others, it's a sign. Actually, Jesus is more like an add-on to your life. It's not like your entire life. If you haven't entered into a new world that you're inhabiting with Jesus and said, like, Jesus is just a part of who you are. I think, think of it like this. So when, I, when I first moved to Kansas City, um, I did not know anything about the Chiefs or about the Royals. And so when people would talk to me about them, because I, I like sports, like I could not carry a serious, not like a real conversation. It was it always ended up weird. It's like, yeah, the, that guy for the Chiefs is really good. Like I, I didn't know what I was talking about, and I didn't know what burnt ends were. Um, I just know that like burning an end of something and eating it didn't sound like a good idea uh, to me. Um, but then I ate burnt ends, and they became a part of me, right? Like, like in more ways than one, they became a part of me, and. And now I can talk about burnt ends in a non-weird way, because I've entered into this new world of burning ends and how delicious they are. Um, and so I'm, it's not weird anymore. It's, it's, right, it's, it's, it's a part of who I am. It's part of my identity. Um, and, and, and here's what I mean. If you, if you take Jesus into, into all, all of your life, wherever you go, to your work, to your home, to your neighborhood, to your family, to your friends, your classmates, teammates, all of that, you, you just process your entire life differently. You're, you're living in a new world, and Jesus... Jesus is going to inform how you live in that new world. You're going to process grief differently. You're going to process the successes and the failures of your workplace differently. You're going to, you're going to make certain decisions that may not make sense to others. 
You're just going to live life differently. And it's those things that become the non-weird ways to engage people with the truth of, of who Jesus is. There's a couple ways of, of illustrating that. Uh, ways I've screwed that up in ways I feel, I think one way is right. Um, so when I was in high school, uh, you, know, you go to, to camp, a lot of high school students do, and they, you come back like on fire, and you want to change the look of Jesus. And so one of the things they did, they encouraged you to do was share your faith with three friends. And and they gave you a very specific way to do it. They encouraged you to, uh, to as you share your faith, start with hell, um, which was not, in hindsight should have felt like a bad idea, but I just didn't clue into it. And so I went to my friend Jason, um, who was not a Christian, and, and we did that. We talked about hell together, and it was really weird. It was a very weird conversation, as it should have been, because like hell is not a part of, of everyday life, right? So, like, he wasn't waking up thinking about hell that morning, and I tried to get him thinking about it. It just didn't work. Um, that's a weird way to talk about Jesus, but a normal way. I told this story before, but I, it's just it stuck with me. I think it, I think it's what I want to, to communicate. And you should remember it if you did. But when I was at Starbucks, um, I worked with a guy named Ben. He was he was a very angry person, um, a very very angry person. And, and it, when you work in retail, you have lots of opportunities to be angry at people, um, the customers that are, are rude or not very nice or sort of persist in their their their, their unkindness towards you. And we had a customer like that who did that to me one time. It was just really mean to me, and sort of it just stuck with it for a while. Like it was just. It was like trying to find new ways of being unkind and maybe try to see if I could cry or something. I don't know. It's just really mean. And, and so the, the encounter ended. It was several minutes long. And it was just me and Ben. It was at night. And it was the only customer in the place. And, and after it was over, Ben looked at me and he said, uh, you know, I worked with you for a while. I've never seen you get angry. How's that possible? Like, how do you not just tell that person wrong? And, and I, gave, I gave a sarcastic answer. I forget what I said. It was sarcastic. And then he, but he like looked at me and said, no, I'm serious. How, like, I've never seen you get angry. So I, I was sort of like, okay, I think this is about to get weird. And I told him that. I'm like, I think this make it weird. But, um, but I used to be a very angry person. If you've known me in high school, you've seen me with all the problems you have, screaming, yelling, all that stuff. And, uh, but I'm a Christian, and, and I follow Jesus. And, and following Jesus has meant uh, I'm just not angry. Like I, used to, I don't have the reasons, for whatever reason, and that's all I mean, it's not me. So I'm not, I'm not angry anymore because I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And it, was, it felt weird to me, but, but he looked at me and he said, Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I went back to making coffee or whatever, whatever it was. And and that's an example of like, listen, I process life differently. And I used to process it in a very angry way. And then when Jesus comes, don't. And it's not me, it's that's that's him. We all have those stories, we all have those testimonies. And those are the things, the non-weird, non-threatening ways to, to say to people, like Jesus is, is for real, and you should consider consider him. So we we're called to make disciples. We go about our life. We're, look, we're on the lookout for people to tell the good news of this new world Christ offers. That's one way. But second um, is, is baptizing. Which is interesting. Why, why baptizing? Why is baptizing so central to the mission for Jesus and making disciples? And you can say a lot of things here, but he mentions baptism. Why? Well, think about how you, you join most, uh, most groups. In high school, uh, the most important group that I was a part of was, uh, was the golf team. Uh, like, it sounds awesome, I know, uh, so let me tell you about it. But uh, <laughs> how you make a golf team, it's, it's simple, right? You, you shoot better scores than other people, and then you make a golf team, right? You, you live up to expectations, you meet your qualifications, you're good enough, you get in, you're on the team. And that's how most groups work, right? There are certain qualifications, and if you meet those qualifications, and you live up to the standards, then you're good enough, you get in, you prove yourself, and you're in. It's Jesus. Um, Jesus here gives us this, this practice in joining his community that says, but my, my group's not like that. 
And think about how, how we enter into the church, how we enter into uh, so we to Jesus. That we come in worship, right? We come to convince Jesus who he said he is. He's the Son of God. He can, he can save us. He can give us new life. And then Jesus says, okay, now you've got to be baptized. And what baptism is, I, I've always wondered like what people who aren't Christians think about this, because it, it looks very strange when you think about it. But two people get into uh, water, um, and someone grabs your face, and then they put you under the water and said, and basically said, you're dead now. Just like it's sort of freaky when you think about it. And then they lift, back, they lift you back up, and, and you're new. You're a new person. You're alive. And while they do that, while they baptize you, they say, and I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why is that? Why is that our, this is how you join our group in practice? What's, what's happening? Well, I mean, a lot, but, but two things. One, you're, you're dying. You're waking up in a new there's a second thing. Um, when someone says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not like a weird incantation that does stuff something weird. It's like, no, what we're saying is you, you now have a new name. You died. Whatever your name was is irrelevant because now you are, you have the name of the Trinity. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have been, you've been killed and you've been raised to new life as, as a part of God's own family. So church, Jesus it's not calling us just to go out and convince people intellectual truths about, about who God is. That's important. That's really important. He's, he's, it's central to his mission is that he's calling us to baptize. To pull people out of the world that's dying and into his own world. And, and to, to pull them away from a name that's perishing and give them a name that's everlasting. That's what I love. Listen, that's one of the things I love about being a Christian or a pastor is that if you're not a Christian, the next step into our group, becoming part of the church, it's not listening to not a theological test you have to pass. You don't have to perform feats of strength by which we are impressed and we love you. That's not how it works. You have to let someone grab your face, <laughs> kill you underwater, and then raise you to new life and give you a new name. That's how it works. It's Jesus, he's called us as Christians to go into this world and say, come, be part of us. Believe in Jesus, he can save you. He'll give you a new name. So we make disciples by going, by our lives, by baptizing, and um, thoroughly teaching. And the order is very important here. It's, it's not teaching and then baptism. It's baptism and then teaching because, you know, the world you and I live in, the world of Jesus' teaching, which if you're a Christian, right, even some of the, if you're a Christian for a long time, you see things he tells us you to, to do, and it's like, do you really mean that? Like, that feels like a bad decision. Like, should I actually do that? And so I think a lot of times Christians, we try to go, like, with the hardest teachings that Jesus has, and be like, you should be a Christian. And here's the, one of the hardest things he ever said, right? It's like, well, I'll never do that. Um, but the order is, no, it's baptism teaching. You have to come into the family before the teaching is to you. even have a hope of abandonment or understanding. So the order matters, but, but there's something Jesus says here which is really important that we can't miss. Jesus isn't just, Jesus isn't just saying, hey, go make disciples and good luck. Uh, but before he says that, he says to us, his church, um, the disciples, and we call them the descendants, um, all authority in heaven and on, on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority. And he means two things by that. One, he means um, I have the right to tell, to teach you how to live. I, I, the words used of, of a king who would send out emissaries to say, here's the tax you have to pay, or here's the command you have to obey. And you don't have a choice. The king is saying this. So Jesus, he has the authority to tell us how we live his life. And if, if the gospel is true, that, that shouldn't surprise or, or be overwhelming to us, because Jesus runs the universe according to the New Testament. So if he, like, if he can run the universe and like put planets in place and make sure gravity works properly, like he knows probably what you should do about your own life. He's brilliant. 
But authority doesn't just mean that. It doesn't mean he's of the right to tell you what to do. It also means he has, um, has the power to tell you. And actually accomplish what he's told you to do. So this word authority means two things. It means uh, the right, but it also means, it means the power. And Jesus is claiming that what he says he wants done in our lives and in our world, he can actually do it. I think for me, uh, for a moment, with what Jesus just said to me, you said, you, you 11 guys, some of you who are even doubting this moment, you, you're going to go, you're going to make disciples, you're going to baptize them, and you're going to follow us in the Holy Spirit. You're going to do that in all nations. All peoples are going to come to know the gospel because of you. Right? Go therefore, make disciples, not just of a few people, of all nations. And when you think about this in context, Jesus has just been killed by Rome. He has maybe like 100 or 200 followers. But even Matthew, when he wrote this 30 years later, the church hadn't gone that much further at that point. And yet, look, from us, 2,000 years later, do you have any doubt that Jesus can accomplish anything he wants? When I went to China in February, I'll be going to Hong Kong and China in May. And there, there are people there who love Jesus and are giving their lives to, to him all over the world. And we as Christians, Jesus isn't just saying, like, go and make disciples in your own spheres, in your own numbers. He wants you to be a part of making disciples all over the world. And so that, that has an implication for us. And it's something you and I should believe as Christians. And I don't know that we always believe this as Christians. And I say that about myself as well. But if this is true, if Jesus is telling you to make disciples, and he has the authority to get it done in you, it means you and I should expect people to come to know Christ through our life. You should expect that through your own life, people go baptize them, come to faith through you. Who says, do you, do you have that problem? You can, you can actually share the gospel with people responsibly. Because Jesus has saved you there. He has the power to accomplish it through you. Do you believe that? Because it's, it's easy for us not to believe that. And study after study shows that the, the longer a church exists over time, the churches tend to become <coughs> introverted. And what they become to be, begin to be about is they begin to be about more uh, like satisfying the people who are already there as opposed to being what Jesus says to here, which is outward focus and reaching people who don't know him. So over time, the church has produced Jesus' mission. And I think part of this is because we think, well, you can't really do that. Let's just hold on for your life. That's a part of why a central to our mission as a church is planting campuses, multiplying churches within Kansas City, because every time we do that, it, it's harder for us. We, we have to turn outward. And yeah, I would say, even for us, as, as this being a central message, uh, central mission for us in multiplying churches, I have to say, as as a pastor, both from what's been going on in my own life to, to just thinking and praying about our church, I, I just, I've been convicted this week that we're, we are too much on the introverted side, trying to keep everybody happy, keep things well, and running well here, and not as much thinking about who are our neighbors who don't know Christ, who are the people around us who don't want to worship again, who need to be in the year to come. I, I started praying about that and thinking about, like, do I believe Jesus will do what he said he will do here? Do we live like that as, as a church? That we don't want to be compromised. We don't want to have our own place that's comfortable and good. We want to be focused out in the world, expecting baptism, expecting the disciples. So behind that, then, that's what we do, right? We do, we go, we make disciples. But why? Like, what's the why? What's the motivating force behind why should we just want to do that? There's two things Jesus says here that I think are the why for us. But if, if you're in a position where you're struggling, okay, I just can't get up, or I'm not, I'm not 
society is characterized, a couple things to meditate on. First is that in this new world you and I enter into as Christians, it is a world where, where God himself, Jesus himself, promises you will never be alone. As Jesus says, the last word is the gospel of Matthew, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying a lot there, but one thing he's saying is the you there is plural. I'm with you always to the end of the age, it's plural. So, you know, I, I have family from southern Indiana. I'm, not, I'm kind of southern, but not really. So we would translate that verse, um, the southern Indiana uh, family, Hispanic verse, would say, I'm with y'all to the end. Right? It's not just individual you, he's with you all to the end, which, which what that means, Jesus, he's promising his presence to a community. That's important because if you want to experience the personal presence of Jesus, if you want to know that you're not alone, I think the primary way you're probably going to experience that is not if you get on a mountain by yourself somewhere. It's not if you have really great personal devotions by yourself. Those are important things. Um, but I think the primary way you will experience the personal presence of Jesus will be through others in your church. That's been true in my own life. When I, and especially if you're someone who, who has struggled with doubts or you're not sure, right, you, you you really connect with that. Some of them worship, some doubt, or all of them worship, some doubting. If you want to want to wrestle through your doubts, you need other other Christians. You need the personal presence of Jesus through His church, through the all of Matthew twenty-eight verse one. But He doesn't just promise to be with you uh, through community. He promises to be with you personally to to the end, to the end of the age. Whether the end for you is the actual end of the world, His return, or whether um, it's, it's at your death, Jesus says you will not. In a world where, uh, where loneliness is real, if, there's a, like, if people really love me, if people really want to be near me, like, the Christian faith, we don't, we don't struggle with that portion. I mean, we might struggle with it emotionally or internally, but Jesus has said, I am with you to the end. Enter into my world, you're never alone. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't walk through it by yourself, you have a shepherd. So that's one I mean, look out in a world, how many people are alone, and you need to know God, God loves them personally. Need to share that news. But another reason why, why Jesus' world is better than ours is, is when Jesus says to us, I have all authority in heaven and earth. We probably like there's a part of us Muslims who just really struggle um, with that. We're skeptical of authority and of power. Um, and for those who, who wield it for good reasons. Because all of us, we all have stories of, of someone abusing authority or power over us. Because every human being, once, once we get a little bit of authority, a little bit of power. A little bit of, of, of ability to, to manipulate things in our direction. We, we always use it to enhance ourselves, don't we? we my, your life for me, right? Like, like, I can take from you, I'm going to take a little bit from you. Subtle sometimes, sometimes it's not so subtle. And I think it's why we react against it. Why, especially in our culture, there's just been a strong reaction against institutions of authority or places of, of power. We, just, we don't trust them because we're afraid they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna abuse us again. They're going to take advantage of that's the world you and I live in, but it's not the world Jesus invites us to live in. One of my favorite moments that we looked at in the Gospel of Matthew is when uh, the disciples, they're arguing about who gets the most important power, position, right? Like, who gets, who gets the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? Like, who, who has the most important jobs and gets to tell everyone what to do in Jesus' name? That's essentially what they're arguing over. And Jesus hears them arguing and says, guys, um, I, the Son of Man, which is, I think Jesus is claiming to be God here. I, I, as God himself, I didn't come to be served by you, even though I'm God. But I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. Jesus is not like us, and his world is not like us. It's a world where he strips himself of his authority. He gives up his power. He goes to a cross and dies for you and me, so you and I can enter into this new world of salvation and grace. 
My question, and really the question all of us should be asking this this morning, is is how do you enter into that world? Those of us who are Christians, to enter into that world means we are all about onboarding and making disciples. Is that true? Have you entered into this world? It's okay if you doubt. It's okay if you don't want it. It's okay if you're sitting there saying, you know what, I'm not doing that. It's okay, right? But you don't get into this world because you're good enough or because you don't doubt. You get into this world because Come to him in faith. And if you're if you're not in a place of, of being a Christian, it's the question, right? Have you entered into this world? Or can you enter into this world? It's okay. It's okay to come into doubts. It's okay to come in wavering and unsure. Because our way into this world, it's not it's not triumphalism. It's a baptism. Someone grabs us, kills us, gives us a new So may we all, whether we baptized or not, may we, may we enter into this world and get baptized and let God give us a new name. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as, as people who want to, to enter into this new world of resurrection life. We have new life. There's so much death around us. Would you fill us with new life? God, for those of us who are Christians, would you give us a sense of confidence that you you want to you want to use us to to make disciples in this world. God, don't make us afraid. Don't make us shrink back. God, give us confidence and hope. Um, and God, for those of us who are doubt, either doubt as Christians or doubt as non-Christians, I'm sure. Is this is this for real? God, would you would you meet?